I'm so glad that you are with us, and I'm very excited about a new series that we're starting today, and I've been thinking about this series for quite some time, and uh, very excited. We're going to learn a lot together uh, during this series, so I'm hoping that uh, you're going to be here every week, week two next week, already been putting a lot of hours into that talk, uh, and then the week after, so we're going to be in this series uh, four, possibly five weeks, I'm sort of debating on that. Um, you know, a fifth idea for it. So I hope that you'll be here each and every week. We're going to be talking about Daniel, how that he and some of his friends ended up in a very, very unfamiliar place. Uh, They just thought their life was going to be normal. One day they wake up and they're in a place that is not home, and we're going to get into that. Sort of like my grandson. Uh, We have a two-year-old grandson, uh, and Uh, he uh, woke up this morning in a very unfamiliar place. In fact, some of your parents and grandparents, you can sort of appreciate this. Uh, He's got his little room with his little bed, although, you know, it's been modified because since, you know, a couple of months ago, he was uh, big enough uh, to be able or strong enough. He's a lot like his, uh, you know, uh, pop on that exceptional strength. And so he figured out how he could crawl over the top of it and down the other side. So they're like, this isn't working. So they, uh, they took that off of him. And I don't know, this was not around when our kids were small. Uh, do any of you have kids or grandkids that sleep in these miniature Snuggies? Do you know what I'm talking about? And you put your arms through them. But you, have you seen this? Uh, this is new. Have you Wave at me if you, do you know? It's like a child in a sack race. It's like every night they're going to be in a sack race. And so they've, you just get in it, and so your legs are... But somehow, when they go into his room to get him up, to get him ready for church this morning, he is not in there. He's not in his room. He's not in his bed. They start looking around. They can't find him. And he's actually, at some point in the middle of the night, uh, went downstairs. Nobody sleeps downstairs. Downstairs in the basement and went crawled in one of the big queen or king-size beds. So I guess he's trying to say, this little bed is not working for me. So snug and all... He uh, ends up, and they look for a while. Uh, his dad is not nearly as panicked as mom. and so. Uh, but he woke up in an unfamiliar place, and so did Daniel and his friends. And it's an amazing story. And we're going to talk, beginning today, about standing strong. How do we stand up? And this is important. How do we stand up for the right reason at the right time and in the right way? And we're going to talk about each week sort of a different... Um, spectrum of Daniel's life. Sometimes it will involve his friends. Sometimes it's just Daniel. Uh, I encourage you uh, to be here next week. Uh, We're going to talk at Daniel, time in his life that was just very challenging for him. How did he stand up in that situation? We're going to talk about standing out uh, this morning. Our roadmap for this series flows out of this fascinating book. I've already mentioned the primary character involved. It's Daniel, and it's the book that has his name. And in it, are amazing events that describe circumstances and opportunities in the lives of Daniel and some of his friends. And some of his friends. So we're going to kick off this series uh, this morning, and we're going to begin in the beginning in Daniel chapter one. And our focus is going to be on, you know, we're going to talk every week about standing strong. But how do these guys stand out? How do they just stand out? early on when they wake up in a different place that is not their home. Now, in the book of Daniel, this is important. I want to give you some background before we ever get into the series itself. Uh, Another key player in the story, in the book of Daniel, is a very wicked king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. 
Nebuchadnezzar, and, and he was a very angry king. And part of the reason why is because of the name his parents gave him to when he was a baby. No, that's not true. But he was a very wicked, very evil king. And in the book of Daniel, we learn a lot about Nebuchadnezzar. And we see listed uh, numerous atrocities that he had committed in his time. Uh, he had gone into Jerusalem. This is how wicked that Nebuchadnezzar is. He has gone into Jerusalem and, and he destroys the city, but he actually takes the temple. Uh, he takes the place where they would come together and worship God, worship Yahweh, the one true God, our God. And he actually burns the temple to the ground. That's like saying, hey, I'm not only going to come into your area. I'm an invading army and I'm an invading king, but I'm going to come. I'm not only going to destroy your city. I'm going to burn your church to the ground. And that's what he chooses to do. But just before doing that, what Nebuchadnezzar does is he confiscates, uh, confiscates you, you need to read the story, but he, he gathers up all of the religious items and symbols that were positioned in the temple, and, and he takes them away. And the message that he is trying to communicate is quite clear, is he's trying to say to those living in Jerusalem, those worshiping the same God that you and I worship today, Yahweh, Jehovah God, he's trying to say to them, hey, from this point forward, new sheriff in town, and the worship of your God as it has been is now going to be obsolete. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be done with this. I'm going to burn your church to the ground. Think about, this is a wicked guy. I'm going to destroy your city. I'm going to burn your church to the ground. But anything in your church that has a religious connotation about it, I'm going to just take that away because this is a new day and you're not going to worship that God anymore. But Nebuchadnezzar is not done yet. He then issues an order and this is where Daniel and his friends come into play. He issues an order that the brightest and the best young men in Jerusalem are going to be captured. And against their will, they're going to be taken into the city of Babylon, where they will be trained and indoctrinated in a totally different culture and in a godless culture. So this is going to be a, a really, really difficult time for Daniel and for his friends. A while back, I, I love the Bible. You know that by now. I read it, read it practically every day. I love reading my Bible. I have days where I'm like, I don't understand what it's saying to me. But I was reading back through Daniel not long ago. And I'm like, you know what? These are stories that, that we hear about when we're kids, if we grew up in church. But we don't talk about it as much as adults. And I don't know. And, and it's just like, grip me. Why not? Because there's such valuable truth here. And that's why we're going to be talking about Daniel and how that he stood strong. So we're going to start at chapter one. The guys have some verses uh, that we're going to have you look at. Look right up here on the screen. Then the king ordered as Phineas, chief of his court, court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family. Let's stop there for just a moment. Remember now this wicked king, what's his name? Has gone into Jerusalem. He's from Babylon, but he goes into Jerusalem, destroys the city, burns the temple to the ground. And now he's going to take out these very, very sharp young men from the royal family and the nobility. Look at the next part. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. 
He was to teach them. Look at these words. We're going to come back to this because you've read this in your Bible. Most of you have and like you just skipped over it because it's like doesn't seem like a big deal, but it is to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. That's a big word there, too. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for how long? Three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service, King Nebuchadnezzar. So he's going to take the brightest, the best. He's going to take, you know, like the A-team as far as up-and-coming young men out of Jerusalem. He's already destroyed their city. Uh, Devastation has come, burned their church to the ground. All of this has happened. Now he's going to take these young men, and he's going to enfold them into the Babylonian culture. And this is a very strategic plan. It's a very intentional plan, by the way. And you saw it with me. Here's what we're going to do with these young men. They have great aptitude. They're, you know, they're just, uh, they're bright. You know, they do well in school. Uh, you know, they're just sharp, ultra sharp. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to do two things. We're going to alter their lives in a lot of ways, but we're going to alter their language. In other words, we're going to teach them how to talk like we talk. All right. They know they know what they've been accustomed to in Jerusalem. New day, new sheriff, new king, worship of God. That's out the window. And we're going to teach them how to talk like we talk. But we're also going to make changes. We're going to teach them our language because we want them to talk like we talk. And we're also, you saw this other word there, we're also going to teach them our literature. Because we not only want these young men from Jerusalem that are now going to be enfolded into this Babylonian society, into this godless culture, we not only want them to talk like we talk, so we're going to affect their language, but we're going to affect their literature so that they will think like we think. And the idea here is that they wanted Daniel and his friends to turn their back on God. They wanted Daniel and his friends to just forget the way that they have been raised back in Jerusalem and to believe like the Babylonians believe and to behave like the Babylonians believe or behave. So uh, take that for just a moment. Set that to the side. I want to mention something. Then we're going to come back to the story of Daniel. I want to just say this to us, because again, I mentioned the story of Daniel is not just a story for little kids uh, growing up in kids' church. It's a story that you and I can learn a lot from. And one of the things that we know right out of the gate, when we just uh, surmise some of the things that's happening here, is that this is exactly what the evil one wants to do with you and I today. He wants us, now we're not contending with King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, but we're contending with the prince of darkness, the evil one, Satan, the devil. And one of the things that he wants us to do is to turn our backs on God. He, he comes against us. He attacks us. I'll come back to that in just a moment. He lies because the enemy doesn't even have the capacity to be able to tell the truth. Everything God says is true. God is truth. Everything the evil one says uh, is a lie. He traffics in deception and he does all of this so that you and really beyond us so that our family and our friends would turn our back on God and the things that maybe if we were raised right, the way that we were raised and what we know is right. And the evil one is just constantly with his attacks and his lies and his deception in big and small ways, by the way, trying to get us to turn our back on God. And, and let me just continue with this before we go back uh, to Daniel. If the evil one cannot get your eye to totally flip on our commitment to God, 
to just reject all, uh, all God altogether, then he will at least settle for you and I being casual Christians, sort of, sort of Christians, sort of cultural Christians. Like if we're not going to just like turn our back completely upon God and just be a rebel, uh, he, if he can't get us to flip and do that, he, he will be content, mildly content, but content nevertheless, if we're just like, you know, we're just sort of casually committed to Jesus. We're like sort of in, but not completely in, and we don't want to be weird and strange, and we don't want to be fanatical, and we don't want to go all the way. You know, if somebody asks us, do we believe in God? Of course I believe in God. Do you believe Jesus? Is? Yes, I believe you. Do you believe the Bible is true? Yeah, I don't understand it, and some part seems to contradict if I read, you know, but yeah, I believe it's true, and, and, and you would just go, you just go down the list and you'd be like, okay, yep, yep, check that box, check that. But just not being all in, just not like full devotion to Jesus as we talked about last week. Not like, you know, saying, Jesus, I surrender all of my life to you. So if the evil one cannot get us to flip on our commitment to Christ, he will at least settle for you and I to just saying, I'm just going to be partial in. I'm not going to be all in, not like all the way, um, but I'm, I'll be a casual Christian. And, but the problem with that is this, you and I, you and I, if that's our choice, and I hope you will not make that choice, but if you just say, I've never turned my back on God, but I want to just be sort of in, sort of out, do what I want to do when God, you know, Sunday's God's day, but all the rest are mine and I'll do all that I want on those other days. If that's sort of our attitude, then let me just tell you what will happen. You will never fully experience the power of God and the presence of God and the victories that God has for your life if you're just saying, I'm part in. I'm just sort of half in. I don't want to go all the way with, I don't want to be fully surrendered to Jesus. I'm just going to be, and again, the evil one wants you and I to totally flip and turn our back on God. But if we won't do that, which most people, most uh, Christians that I know would not do that, would just say, you know, I'm just not going to be as, you know, as fanatical as a lot of people. I just, you know, to go all the way, you got to be like, you know, like a crazy kind of Christian. I, I just, which, by the way, you don't have to be a crazy Christian to be a seriously devoted Christian. How many of you know that? Now, you and I are under constant attack. Do you know that? Under constant attack. And let me tell you why. And again, we're going to come back to Daniel. But the reason, in case nobody's informed you of this recently, the reason you're under constant attack is because the evil one hates you. He just does. Why? He hates God. And if you're a Christian and you belong to God, then he hates you. He hates that you identify with uh, God's son, Jesus. He despises the fact that you have chosen to devote your life to Jesus and to be like a full-on, 100% devoted follower of Jesus, seeking to live your life according to God's will and according to God's word. He hates that. So he's constantly going to be picking at you, badgering you, oppressing you, attacking you, and uh, to just try to bring defeat and discouragement to your life. By the way, let me also add this. If you're just saying, hey, I don't want, you know, and it doesn't mean like you're a horribly bad person, but if you're just saying, hey, I reject Jesus, and some of you may be like that, that you're here in church today, but you make no claim that you're a Christian or that you want to be a follower of Jesus or any of that, you're here. But if you're just saying, hey, um, I, I don't really, you know, I don't really want to, 
follow Jesus. I, you know, Jesus, you know, has extended me, I believe, salvation. But I'm like, no thanks, Jesus. If that's where you're at or just saying, you know, I'm going to live my life my way. Um, and you're just, in regards to Jesus, just saying, you know, at least for this season in my life, I'm rejecting Jesus. I just don't want to, you know, I believe he's the son of God, all that, but I just, I don't, I don't want to provide room for Jesus in my life right now. Then let me, let me also add this. Satan is totally cool with that, which if that is true, which I believe it is, that would make me nervous because if Satan's totally cool with how I'm living my life, how many of you know that's not a good thing? That's not a good thing. And so to say, I reject Jesus, reject his claims, reject, well, that's not a, a place that you want to stay in. Now, the enemy, do you believe me when I tell you that you're going to be under attack just because you identify with God and Jesus? Because the evil one hates God, hates Jesus. And, and so Paul, we're going to come back to Daniel, but I want you to look at what Paul says. This is in Ephesians uh, chapter 6, uh, verse 11, I believe. And I want you to look at this with me. Uh, Paul says... Put on the full armor of God so that you can, read these three words with me, so that you can do what? Take your stand against the devil's schemes so that you can take your stand because the enemy's going to be attacking you. He hates God, therefore he hates you. He hates Jesus, therefore he hates you. And so Paul would just say, take your stand. You're going to have to stand strong. Now, uh, just two verses later, and he's, Paul is continuing with this thought. I want you to look at it. Verse 13, he says, therefore, he repeats it. Therefore, he's still in that same uh, mode of thinking. Therefore, put on the full arm of God so that when the, devil of, uh, when the day of evil comes, when the devil's really attacking your life, you may be able, look at this now, to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, to just say, you know, I've done everything I've done everything that I know to do, and now I'm just going to stand. It's what we're talking about in this series. I'm going to stand strong. I'm just, I've done everything that I know to do. I, I've done everything that I know that I can do, and now here's what I'm going to do. Having done everything I know to do, having done everything that I've tried to do, I'm just going to stand strong. And Paul said, you put on the full armor of God, and it gets into that, like the breastplate of righteousness, shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, sword of spirit, which is the word of God. He said, have your feet shod with the preparation, the gospel of peace, and it gets into all of that. You can read that in Ephesians 6 where he talks about, you know what? You're going to be under the attack of the evil one. So it would be a good thing to make sure you've equipped yourself with the armor of God. And when you've done everything you know to do, then you just stand strong. Now, some Christians, hopefully not you, try and dodge what we're going to see Daniel and his friends doing. And it is just saying, you know, um, I'm just, you know, I'm not going to really stand out from other people. I'm not going to, you know, I'm just going to blend in. But you and I, it's inevitable. It's going to happen to us. We're going to be challenged at times in our life, and we're going to see this here in just a moment, to stand for the right thing at the right time and in the right way. And you can either just say, well, I'm, I'm just not going to do that. I'm going to blend in. And again, some Christians just do to do that. Like I'm, I'm just going to be an in, incognito kind of Christian. I'm, I'm, you know, I don't really want people 
you know, where I work. I don't want them to know. I don't want, you know, my friends to know, the people that I, you know, connect with, built relationships with, the, you know, the gym or whatever. I just don't want them to know that I'm a Christian. But the fact of the matter is there's going to be some point in your life and in my life where we're going to have to stand out, not stupidly, but we're going to have to stand out for the right thing at the right time and in the right way. And if we instead spend our energy trying to blend in with everybody else rather than to stand out, then it really begs the question, how serious are we about our faith? Now, I don't think you need to be, uh, nor I, just like reckless in how we communicate that we're a Christian. But how many of you would be in total agreement with me? The people that know us best ought to know we're a Christian. Are you with me on that? They ought to know. That's nothing to be ashamed of. That's nothing to be ashamed of. Um, you know, it's, it's funny. Uh, this has happened to me for, forever. Um, you know, you're starting to get to know people, like in my, my context at the gym. And so you're starting to get to know people, and you find out a little bit about their life, and you're finding out what he does with his career. And I've had people ask me, oh, by the way, after a while, they know my name, they know my pattern, my routine. And they'll be, hey, Jeff, uh, by the way, I've never asked you, what do you do for your living? What do you do for a living? And I love it when people ask me that question because I always answer a question with a question. And they're like, hey, what do you do? And this has happened to me so many times. What do you do for a living? And I say, what do you think I do for a living? Because how many of you know I don't dress like a preacher when I go to the gym? I don't have a little gym collar that I wear when I'm work, working out. I mean, I'm, I'm just, and so I, and it, then it's fun to just sort of sit back and, and listen to what they name. Oh, I, I think, are you, do you, no, do, what do you do? I'm a pastor. I get the privilege, privilege of leading a great church and get, to, and it provides an opportunity. And from that many times, uh, you know, when they're going through a challenge and once people know you're a pastor or they know you're a Christian, sometimes they'll bring to you some struggles that they're going through in their life. And it just provides me, I can't tell you the number of times I've said to somebody like in the gym, because that's primarily where outside of church in the office where a lot of my friendships are, where I've said, Hey man, I'm going to be praying. Or somebody comes up and says, I got this going on. And and uh, will you be praying for me? And I'm like, yeah, I'll be praying for you. Or I hear about something going on in their life. Hey, I just want you to know I'm going to be praying for you. And if there's anything that I can do to help you out, just please. And, you know, people ought to know that we're a Christian and we stand out in the right way, in the right way, not the wrong way, and, but we stand out in the right way at the right time, you know, for the right, for the right reasons. Now, Daniel and his friends were certainly willing to stand strong and to stand out. And I want us to return to their story. I want you to see this. It's very interesting. Daniel chapter one, we're still in verses uh, one, verse or chapter one, but look now at verses six and seven. Among these, uh, talking about the ones, you know, the young men that have been brought in, we saw that earlier, uh, from Jerusalem, these, uh, you know, up-and-coming young men who are going to be enfolded into the Babylonian culture. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them, what? Two words. Read it with me, everybody, aloud. New names, new names. Doesn't seem like it's a big deal, does it? But it is. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. And to Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. Now, 
Uh, that may not seem like a really big deal, but why would Nebuchadnezzar assign to them new names? Most Bible scholars believe that this event, what I've just read to you now, where we go next week, Daniel's older, and you'll see this, but at this time when they're taken captive against their will and brought to this godless culture in Babylonia, um, then most scholars believe that these young men, that you see their names on the screen, think about this, I don't know what age you think they are around this time, but most scholars believe they're somewhere in the age group of 12 to 15 years old. They're young. They're very, very young. Now, they were taken from their home. We know that. And their home is about 1,000 miles from where they are now. They've awakened in a strange place, strange time. Uh, You know, the language is going to be changed. The literature is going to be changed. Now their names are going to be changed. They've been taken from their families. And everything that is familiar to them, why would their names? Ever read this and thought, well, why their names? Why would that really matter? And, and I'll tell you why. It is because their names, the names that they were given, were actually tied to the worship of the one true God. Their names in Jerusalem, how their parents named them, was very, very intentional. A lot of times we don't think about why we name our kids. What we, you know, we just like the name. That's our culture. And, and that day was very different. And I'll give you an example. Some of you know this uh, about our boys. Uh, Brent is our oldest son. But he's not Brent. He is actually like me. He is Jeffrey. He's Jeffrey. That's his first name. I'm Jeffrey Scott. He is Jeffrey Brent. Now, when Brent was born, I wasn't even thinking that I was going to be a pastor. Um, you know, I was, on, I was on a, I was on a, like, thinking business, and so I was moving in that direction. And then by the time um, Drew or Andrew is born, um, I'm now in training. I'm actually a student at Southeastern University. And, and so uh, it hit us, like, here, Brent, he has no biblical name whatsoever, nor do I, Jeffrey Scott, Jeffrey Brent. And so it was like this idea, we need to make it up with Drew. So let's make it up with him. So let's give him a New Testament first name and an Old Testament middle name. And some of you know this, but a lot of you don't. So Andrew, Drew, Andrew being New Testament, and then we gave him an Old Testament middle name. So his name, we got Jeffrey Brent. Then we have Andrew Marshallow Hashbaz Sellers. That's not true. I just made that up. Some of you are. I don't know why I do that. That's just so wrong. It's Andrew Michael, but uh, Marichelle Hashbaz sort of cool, isn't it? Dr. Hackett. Is that a good name? Yeah. I'll just call him Mayor for short. I'm going to start doing that. But names mean a whole lot. And so these young men come in, into Babylon, and they have these names that are connected with um, the worship of God. Nebuchadnezzar's like, no. I've destroyed your city. I've destroyed your temple. I've burned it to the ground. I've taken every bit of the religious symbols associated with your temple. I brought you boys, and you're not going to carry around with you the names that are associated with the God that is back in Jerusalem, the one true God, Yahweh, Jehovah. I'm going to give you names, and now their names are going to be, they're going to have an affinity. They're going to have a connection to the worship of false pagan God. And then there's another change that's about to be made. This one is going to be a change in the their diet, what they're eating. Now, uh, when we read, and I'm not going to take a lot of time here, but we read about food from the king's table. They're going to be fed from the king's table. Now, how many of you, that sounds good. If you think I'm going somewhere and I'm going to be, just take uh, 
just take it in our context, we wouldn't have a king, we'd have a president. What if you knew that what the president of the United States gets to eat every day, the presidents throughout history, that you and I are going to be fed, that, you know, somebody's going to prepare it for us, um, somebody's, somebody's going to serve it to us, and we're going to eat the same quality of food. How many of you think that if you, whatever generation, you've been the president of the United States, how many of you know that probably every night they're not bringing you a sack of crystal hamburgers? They're eating, when you say a, a king, a leader, a prime minister, a president is eating pretty good. And so that sounds good that we're going to be eating food from the king's table. And, and you saw the language earlier, the royal food and, uh, food and wine. Um, but here's the problem. Here's the problem that Daniel and his friends have with this. This is actually food that has been dedicated to these false and pagan gods. And this presents Daniel with quite the dilemma. Now, the next verse is, uh, and I, I hope you'll go back and read chapter one today. But the next verse is one of the most important verses. You probably read over it and haven't really thought about it a whole lot before. But I want you to look at verse eight now. But Daniel resolved... Daniel predecided, Daniel predetermined, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. So he's like, you know what? I can't do anything about what they did in my city, what they did to the temple where our families all worship. I can't do anything about that. Um, you know, I can't do anything, and, you know, I can serve God even though my name is not what it once was. I can do that. But then Daniel here draws a line, and there's a valuable lesson for us right here in verse 8 when it says Daniel resolved. He predetermined. He predecided what he would and would not do. Now, one of the great keys to keep in mind in this regard, and ties back, this is why I said the story of Daniel is not just for kids in kids' church, but it's for us here right now is that that is something that is so important for you and I to do. One of the things that will keep you and I, this is so, so important, so even if you got distracted momentarily by something, dial right back in, because this is going to help you a lot, and it's going to help me a whole lot. One of the things that is so important that will keep us from caving in and doing something that we don't want to do is if we go ahead and resolve in our heart that we're not going to do it. We pre-decide ahead of time we predecide, we predetermine ahead of time that, you know, we're going to draw a line. Uh, take, for example, a young Christian couple. Uh, they're going to be getting married. They're engaged, not yet engaged. One of the things that is highly valuable to them is to saving themselves, to remain pure uh, before they get married. Um, and that's something that they talk about, they have an agreement about, hey, we just don't want to enter into a sexual relationship until we get married, and so we just want to make, uh, we just want to be pure. Now, how many of you know the smart time to decide that is, is ahead of time and not in the heat of the moment? You pre-decide, you predetermine, you know, not when things you know, or seemingly uh, getting a little bit out of hand and say, I, I, no, you decide long before that ever happens. You decide that if you're a business person that you're not going to cut corners before 
you know, you're ever in that position where like you've predetermined, you've predecided, you've made a decision. If you're still in school, high school, college, whatever the case, you're going back, working on your education. I'm not going to do anything to cheat on an exam. I have predecided. I have predetermined. I am not going to do that. I've predecided. I'm not going to party hard. I'm not going to go out and get drunk, embarrass myself and embarrass my family, embarrass my, no, I predetermined. I'm not going to wait until I get in, in that, that moment. You know, I've been talking to you recently about a very, very close uh, family member of mine that has struggled with alcoholism for 20 years. And I'm like in a lot of contact with him these days, talking to him practically every day. And, and he is trying to now, and he's making some headway, predetermined, predecide. I don't even need to be around it because he's like, if I start, I'm not going to stop. And so he is trying to be smart and resolve ahead of time to predetermine ahead of time. And that's what Daniel and his friends did. They just made a decision beforehand that, hey, we're resolving that uh, we're, we're not going to eat of the king's table. And I'll tell you how they go about that in just a moment. But here's something also that you and I can predetermine. We can also predetermine uh, what we are going to do. And not just what we're not going to do. We can predetermine. We can resolve what we are going to do. And we can say, if you're like, you've got small kids at home, hey, we haven't really done family devotions, but we're going to start doing family devotions together. Hey, I haven't really had a daily time with God but I'm going to have a daily time with God. You predetermine that. You don't decide, you know, because some mornings, if you're like me, you don't feel like having a daily time with God. You don't feel like, if you go simply by feeling, you don't feel like praying that day or reading the Bible that day, but you predetermine that's going to be a part of your life. You predetermine you're going to be faithful in church, that Sunday is God's day. Sunday is the Lord's day, and you're going to be in church. You've got six other days to do everything else you need to do, but you're going to have the seventh day. You're going to have that day, and you've predetermined predetermined that. You predecided. Sunday is God's day. I'm going to be in church. Hey, I've decided that I'm going to join. We've been talking about this. I'm going to get involved. You predetermined. I'm going to lead a small group. I'm going to get involved. I'm going to get baptized coming up in just a couple of weeks. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to start tithing. I'm going to share my faith with others. I'm going to serve in a ministry. I'm going to stand out and I'm going to stand strong. Now, Daniel and his friends did this day after day, month after month, year after year. So this is not, we look at this glimpse, they're 12 to 15 years of age, and we say, man, they did it, and they passed the test. They did it one day, good for them. They stood out, and they stood strong. But you're going to see starting next week, because we've got some more talks, and they, to me, it just gets more exciting as the weeks go by, because I know where I'm going with this as far as this, the parts of his life we're coming to. But this is something that, that Daniel did just week after week, month after month, year after year for a long, long time, where he just said, I'm going to stand strong. I'm going to stand out. I'm going to stand at the right time for the right thing, and I'm going to do it the right way. And they actually did this the right way. You know, one of the things you're going to notice here is that they did not have this angry protest. They did not have this obnoxious boycott. That's not what they do. I want you to see. Now, a lot of people might would do that, but that's not the approach that Daniel takes. Look with me right here. He says, please test your servants for 10 days. I know you want us to eat this, but just test us. Look at his attitude. He's not, he's not, are you kidding me? You bunch of heathens, you bunch of pagans, you think? No, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. 
then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food, who are eating from the king's table, and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. In other words, just, you know, I know you don't get fired up about it, and I know that things don't work out. You're concerned that the king may kill you. I, we, we get this. We get this. But nevertheless, just test it. Just let's see. Now, it's real easy, and we know this, and I've seen Christians do this. I'm not even going to go there because it would make me a little bit frustrated. But I've often seen Christians who love Jesus. I'm not taking that away. Love God, committed to God, but stand out in the wrong way over the wrong things for the wrong reasons. And, and that doesn't help us, friends. I'm just saying, and we don't have time to get into that. But that is not the approach. This is not the approach that Daniel, they're not, they're not being, they're not like damaging their testimony by the way they're acting. I mean, just look at the way they presented it. Are they standing out? Yes, they are for the right thing, the right way, the right time. Are they standing strong? Absolutely. But they're not going to damage their commitment to God in the process of it. Look at Daniel chapter 19, just the A part. We're just about done here. The king then talked with them. This is afterwards and goes back and they look great. They're doing great. The king then talked with them and he found none equal. This is after their little test. Hey, test us. Just let us eat what we want to eat. We don't want to eat the pagan food. And they don't, I don't think they even get into all of that. But uh, just let us eat what we'd like to. Just give us a test. And at the end of that, the king talked with them. You see it here on the screen. And found none equal, none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And it becomes very evident here, and there's a lot of other things that we could talk about, but it becomes very evident that God blesses them. And God, as you're going to see next week, as you're going to see next week, God blesses them as a result of this with supernatural understanding, the ability to uh, interpret visions and dreams. Next week, you can't miss it. Nebuchadnezzar has this outrageous dream and and he says he's got all these people that are not Daniel's friends that are part of the kingdom and he says to all of them I want you to tell me the meaning of the dream and most of them probably know the meaning of the dream but they don't want to tell the king but the king knows that Daniel has the ability he's much older at this point you can't miss it he calls him in and he says Daniel I've had this dream and I want you to tell me what the dream means and he does. It's incredible. And he has it because he was willing to stand out and to stand strong. You and I get a choice, friend. We can either blend in, nobody at work, no, none of my friends, nobody at the gym, nobody that I hang out with, nobody knows that I'm a Christian. I'm just sort of, you know, low profile on that, incognito, undercover. And I think that's a mistake. I think what's What's wise, and we can learn it from Daniel, standing out for God. You agree with that? Standing strong for God. And we do it not in a way that's going to damage our testimony or become a reproach to the cause of Christ, but we do it the right way, the right time, and for all the right reasons. Would you stand with me? Closing prayer. How many of you would agree the story of Daniel is not just for kiddos? They need to hear it. But how many of you know there's a lot that you and I are going to be able to learn together right here? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. And I just pray, Lord, that we would just learn a lot. It, it's so easy, so easy to just blend in. But God, we don't want to do that. 
We want to stand out for you. There's times in our life, whether we like it or not, we're going to have to draw a line in the sand and just say, no, can't do that, won't do that. I'm going to stand for the right thing at the right time, and I'm going to do it in the right way. And I pray that you just help us in Jesus' name. You know, friends, with your head still bowed, if you're not yet a Christian, I want to challenge you to become a Christian. I became a Christian what I think was probably one of the most challenging times for me personally was when I was in high school. And I had a pre-Jesus reputation, and then I had a post-Jesus reputation. And when I made a commitment to Jesus, I was all in. I mean, 100%, no turn back, looking ahead, uh, unapologetically committed to Christ. But I had a decision because a lot of the people across my high school, they knew the pre-Jesus Jeff, but they didn't know the post-Jesus Jeff. And maybe you're at a time in your life and you're just saying, now's the time for me to give my life to Jesus. A lot of people know how I've been living my life, but I'm going to turn the page. I want to commit my life to Jesus right here, right now. If that's you, would you just put your hand straight up in the air? Just put it in. Your heads are bowed and eyes are closed, but you just say, I want to become a Christian right here, right now, today. And I want to pray for you. How many of you would just be in agreement with Daniel, what we've been looking at today, that you need to stand out a little bit more and you need to stand strong for God and you just want prayer that you'll do that more and more. Would you just wave your hand at me if that's what you want to do? You want to just stand out for God, stand strong for God, no matter where you are. You want to be true to Jesus. So, Father, I pray that you would help us today. For those who are saying, Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I've, I've lived my life apart from you. Now I want to live my life with you. Jesus, come into my life. And God, for all of us that are here today, we know what we want to do. Just give us courage to do it. Help us to be courageous. Daniel and his friends, 12 to 15 years old, and standing in a place that was totally unfamiliar to them, but they drew a line in the sand. And they said, I'm standing, I'm standing strong for God. I'm going to do the right thing, even when it would be easy to cave. I'm going to do the right thing. So help us to do the right things, God, at the right time for the right reasons in the right way. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. I love you, everybody. See you next Sunday. All friends, new friends, meet me out at Guest Central.